0: held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. You know, they were four very talented guys.
1: Welcome back to the Here, There, and Everywhere podcast. I'm your host, Jack Lawless. In the 1960s, the Beatles introduced a strange phenomenon to the world called Beatle mania. People from every country on earth would lose control of themselves once they heard the Beatles, Beatlemania was characterized by hysteria and high-pitched screaming from teenage fans. The Beatles quickly became cults of personality in the world. Even later in their career, groups and cults seemed to gravitate towards the Beatles. In 1968, the Beatles went to India to study under Maharishi Yogi, who was an advocate of the Transcendental Meditation Movement. It was later revealed that the Maharishi was lying to the Beatles about his life and his story. Following that, the Manson family cult conducted a series of horrific crimes that they said were inspired by the lyrics to the song Helter Skelter. The Beatles changed the world in so many ways, it seemed like no one really knew how to process their arrival and the change that they introduced. So here today to discuss the Beatles and the cults that are typically mentioned in discussions about their history is Dr. Stephen Hasson. Dr. Hassan is a mental health professional, cult, and undue influence expert who has been working in the field of relationship, group, and political cults for over 40 years, and it's my pleasure to welcome him on the podcast. Hey, Steve, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. How are you today?
0: Um, I'm fine. And thanks for inviting me um, to do this podcast because I am definitely uh, a follower of the Beatles and have been my whole life, basically.
1: So, Steve, can you walk us through how you first got into the Beatles?
0: Oh, boy. So, the quick answer is I was born in 1954. And I have two older sisters, one three years older and one seven years older. So they were the ones who introduced me to the Beatles. Before the Beatles, I think my big recollection of my childhood was Peter, Paul, and Mary and folk songs. And also I was raised on the piano, classical piano. In fact, I had a fight with my father who was a trained violinist as well as a jazz trumpeter. Um, I had a fight with him at age 15 because I said, I, I want to I play contemporary music like the Beatles. And he's like, you need to continue with con- classical. And I said, I quit. And um, to my demise, I stopped music altogether other than listening and going to a lot of uh, concerts whenever I can.
1: So what were your first thoughts when you heard the Beatles? I mean, I don't know if you can remember, but...
0: My first recollection was a an old 45 RPM player that my sisters bought with my parents' approval and a, a two-sided 45, and my recollection was Love Me Do, which happens to be my ringtone on my, uh, on my phone, uh, and when it goes off and I'm in a crowd, people always smile, so I've just kept it for years on it.
1: Awesome. (laughs) That's like the best ringtone you can possibly have.
0: Yeah, and I think it was just the 60th anniversary of the song.
1: Oh, yeah. I can't Um, believe it's been 60
0: years. Me neither. I can't believe I'm 68 because I feel like a kid inside. So when you first heard the Beatles, how did they compare to the
1: contemporary music that was out at that time and also like classical music?
0: how did it compare it? You know, we were the young generation, you know, we were the, you know, we were, I was growing up at, we were in the Vietnam war. In fact, I was in the last draft lottery to go to Vietnam when I turned 17. But my, my, one of my big recollections was when the, when the Beatles came and played, not just Ed Sullivan, but played Shea stadium, which is where the Mets played the baseball team and that's who I followed as a kid was the Mets but I couldn't get to the concert at Shea Stadium unfortunately so how old were you when you decided to pursue your career oh that's a whole nother story um, uh, I'll try to condense it for your listeners but I was a creative writing major I was writing poetry uh, I wish I could say I was writing songs but I wasn't I was just writing poetry um at Queen's College in uh, in New York and I was uh blue because my girlfriend had abruptly dumped me over the Christmas Christmas break and I was sitting in the cafeteria and three women pretending to be students flirted with me and asked to sit at my table and it turned out they were recruiters for the Moonies cult and lied their faces off to me because I asked them, are you students? Yes. Um, are you part of some religious group? They said, oh, no, not at all. And um, But I was recruited into a front group of the Moonies cult and came to believe the World War III was going to happen and Armageddon. And I come from a conservative Jewish uh, upbringing so I was not into Jesus's second coming at all but I wound up being lured to a isolated retreat uh, workshop in Tarrytown New York and coming to uh, have my mind hacked by professionals and I became a leader in the cult and dropped out of Queens College and started carpet Queens College even though I wasn't there anymore And was promoted up the ranks in the cult. And I became a basically a right-wing fascist. So I had turned my myself the opposite of all of my values and beliefs growing up. And then I fell asleep at the wheel of a van due to sleep exhaustion. I was sleeping about three to four hours a night, seven days a week. Uh, And in this occasion, I was up for three days straight. And I nearly died in a van crash which brought me to a hospital, which led me to call my sister, Thea, who said, you have a nephew, I want him to know his uncle, come and visit. And that led to a deprogramming intervention. And I was absolutely convinced I wasn't in a cult and I was convinced I wasn't brainwashed. But um, the ex-members who my parents hired to talk with me, um basically explain Chinese communist brainwashing and the wheels started turning and I basically agreed to the the to the deprogramming not because I had any doubts because but because I wanted to prove to my family I wasn't in a cult and I wasn't brainwashed but I woke up and at the point that I realized (laughs) moon wasn't the messiah world war III was wasn't going to happen And I just said, how did this happen to me? Because I was an extra honor student and I read um, uh, a tremendous amount. So I started reading books on brainwashing and mind control, talked to former military intelligence people who had studied Chinese communist brainwashing. And it was really Robert J. Lifton who said, you know, you know more than I know. Uh, You've lived it. They did it to you and you did it to other people. And what you're describing uh, about the Mooney's operation is so much more sophisticated than what we've studied. You should study psychology and explain it to me. And there I was with a cast from my toes to my groin, depressed, ashamed, embarrassed that I had fallen for this horrible cult, feeling very guilty for all the people I had recruited into it, and I became a whistleblower. And became an expert witness for a congressional subcommittee investigation little did I know I was going to spend 46 years full-time becoming a mental health professional writing four books including my last one called the cult of Trump um, and uh, I went and got my doctorate a few years ago because I realized that the law Uh, the justice system itself needs to be updated to understand undue influence and the difference between due influence and undue influence. Uh, Because I created a model um, of the influence continuum and what I call the BITE model of authoritarian control, which basically stands for uh, behavior control is the B, information control is the I, thought control is the T, and emotional control is the E and i have a method i even did a tedx talk how can i know if i've been brainwashed that has a reality testing strategy that anyone can use for themselves to determine whether they've been brainwashed and that's my life work and right now the world needs to understand this because it's understandable wow and before we start bringing the Beatles into the story can you explain
1: a little bit more about this model that you developed
0: Sure. So um, if you go to freedomofmind.com and click on learn about undue influence, you anyone can download my influence continuum graphic. And essentially, I take the position and I am at cult expert on Twitter and Instagram and TikTok and yada, yada. But if you if you look at the influence continuum, my position is that there are cults along the entire continuum—ethical, benign, productive cults, where you're really into it. You spend a lot of time, energy, money, but you have informed consent. You can ask questions. You can follow your conscience. You can read whatever you want to read. Talk to whoever you want to talk to, and you can decide to leave without fear or phobias, or harassment, um, versus the authoritarian cult stuff where they control your sleep, your diet, your clothing, your language system, tell you don't trust any, anyone who's negative, don't listen to anyone who's an ex-member, uh, where they put phobias in your mind, where they have a very black and white, all or nothing good versus evil ideology, so what what what's so useful about the model that I've come up with over the decades is it's it's easy to understand because <laughs> it, it identifies specific concerning behaviors, and I've had people read my book, Combating Cult Mind Control, which came out originally in 1988, thinking. I'm not in a cult, but the Moonies are a cult. The mass weddings, people being matched to people they've never met before, that's a cult. Let me read Hassan's book on the Moonies and other cults, and then they wind up reading it going, but this applies to my group, whether it's a religious cult, a political cult, a therapy cult, or a cult of personality. You know, Because there are one-on-one cults where somebody's completely taken over another person uh and isolated them from their family and friends and made them afraid to to leave them and uh so the you know there's a lot more like i've done work on uh for indigenous people's rights and these residential programs where where uh young young people were kidnapped and uh, their their braids were cut off, their clothing was taken off, and they were made to become Christians. Uh, and it's just it's brainwashing and mind control.
1: And before we started this interview, you and I were talking, and you said you had a lot to share about the transcendental meditation movement that was associated with the Beatles when they went to India. Can you share anything about that?
0: So, um, yes, so uh TM, which was founded by Maharishi Mahesh Yogi, um, the Beatles actually went to India, and actually, there was a bunch of songs that were written during that period in India. Um, and um Maharishi was not celibate, he was a liar, and he he couldn't levitate and he couldn't walk through walls or be invisible. And um, I actually did a panel discussion with one of his mistresses, Judith Bork, who wrote a book about it. But I think Maharishi came on to uh, Mia Farrow was with the Beatles there and John heard about it and he wound up writing Sexy Sadie about Maharishi. And I believe the original version was much more direct and they they had to be politically correct about it. Um, and they all they all distance themselves from the TM group. Maharishi later died. Uh, I have blogs on TM by the way, and I have interviews with people who were in TM as teachers or one woman, Gina Katena, who was raised in the cult as kind of a princess because uh, her parents were one of the early followers. But she's working on a book about you know, and she's going to be talking explicitly about her her uh, experience with TM and the Beatles in particular. Um, Unfortunately, uh, David Lynch Foundation, famous filmmaker, is a convert and spends a huge amount of money promoting TM. And in the last few years, I believe they've re-recruited Paul and Ringo uh, into TM And just to be clear, I'm for meditation. I'm just against authoritarian cults where they say there's only one correct way to meditate, which there are a thousand correct ways to meditate. And they have this mantra fraud where they would say, you know, I'm going to teach, I'm going to give you a unique mantra to you. And it was just, it was, there was literally a list. Depending on how old you are and what year you got initiated into TM, it was the same mantra given to everybody. And um, as I said, if anyone's interested in more about TM, just come to freedomofmind.com, put in uh, transcendental meditation, and start reading and and watching. This, I want to plug also a very good documentary called David Wants to Fly by a former TMer who I got to meet in Berlin when I was visiting a few years ago. Excellent documentary if you want to know the the real story about TM. And why do you think the Beatles were susceptible to that cult mindset? I mean, it seems
1: like they were pretty secluded from outside influences at that point in their career.
0: So um, the public has a misperception that you have to be weak or stupid or un- un- uneducated to be deceived into a mind control cult and it isn't that way and people need to understand that we all as human beings go through um uh, ups and downs and breakups of relationships and deaths of of loved ones and you know graduating or moving to a new city state or country that sets you off balance. And I think for the Beatles, the fame that they got, and they came in onto the scene just as TV was becoming popularized back then. There were three networks, and then there was four. There was PBS, but that was it. And them be, the Beatles being on Ed Sullivan, like it's like, oh my God, you know this sound is so cool and so fresh. Um, And so they just had this meteoric, you know, fame thing, which is what they wanted from the beginning. But I don't think when they were in it, it was that much fun being like chased, having no privacy, all kinds of people coming after them, get money from them to invest in this or that. And I think they were under a lot of stress and pressures. And I, I forget the story of maybe it was George, but one of them said, I'm taking a break. Why don't you come along? It'll be fun. It'll be interesting. And so they they traveled to India. And, uh, and cult leaders love famous people. They love influencers because if they can recruit the, them, then they get access to all their fans. So... And, um, and TM certainly, uh, is not a healthy group in my professional opinion.
1: I'd love to ask you about another cult as well, which is typically associated with the Beatles. Is there anything you can tell us about the Manson family cult and why they used the Beatles as a reason to commit these horrible crimes?
0: That's a really good question. So Charlie Manson was a very troubled person. He was in Scientology. He was in a number of cults. He was also in jail for most of his youth because he was pretty much a psychopath uh, who later said he was Jesus Christ, I should add. Um And, uh, you know, the, the Manson murders, um, and I believe Patricia Krenwinkel, who is in jail all these years, just got uh, granted parole. Uh, and Leslie Van Houten, another one of Manson's followers who I've lobbied for to get out of jail, still there. Um, but basically Manson used that song, Helter Skelter as a justification for the murders thinking he was going to create a race war and that if if murders were done and they blamed it on black people then then that would facilitate a race war and of course Manson was very into drugs into LSD into into hypnotic techniques etc but I think the song was just used by him as an excuse for his deranged ideology. Um, and I might add, there are many people to this day who are trying to create war. They're trying to stir up race racial tensions. They're trying to set people against each other, uh, even though they're, they're, they're neighbors and they're friends. But we know from history you have an authoritarian show up and call the the neighbor a devil figure or an enemy uh, and people will turn on them because people can be, unfortunately, uh, mind controlled. You know, another thing I think of when
1: it comes to the Beatles and that kind of hysteria and people losing sense of themselves, is Beatlemania itself. I mean here you have thousands of teenage fans not acting like themselves, losing control. Mm-hmm. Would you consider Beatlemania a cult?
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely, but I I as an cult expert, I have an influence continuum, so I talk about ethical cults or productive cults that people know what they're getting involved with, what's called informed consent in legal language where People can disagree, they can ask questions, they can talk to whoever they wanna talk to, including ex-fans. And if they decide they don't wanna be a Beatles fan anymore, they can follow another band or or, just leave. Um, But I I think the the mood of the country in the 60s was really, uh, people were hungry for change. Uh, They were tired of, uh, you know, the fear of World War II and then the Korean War and then the Vietnam War was happening. And there were a lot of young people, including myself, that were for peace and for love and for getting along together. And that was one of the things that really captured me uh, was the idealism, especially of John Lennon's as he grew up, as he became more of an activist. And I think you're gonna ask me about favorite songs. Imagine is high on the list and Mind Games is high on the list. And you might say, Steve, you're a cult expert. Well, you probably would have Mind Games as your favorite Beatles song. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, yeah, guilty. Um, but uh, you know, the other thing I want to comment on is I have a friend, uh, Yuval or who has a model of emotional, um, influences and human beings like to think that we're rational, but we're not, we're emotional and we use our rationalization abilities a lot. But, um, Yuval talks about awe and fervor as healthy, you know, um, human traits and i think when people you know idolize them <laughs> and people saw other people screaming and yelling and fainting and crying and they were they were everywhere to be seen um there's a contagion effect uh and in um in social uh, learning theory uh people can get swept up in a crowd and certainly, when there are songs where you can memorize the lyrics and the music because you listen to it a million times, like I did, you and 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 literally, I I um, was telling you before we started recording that I met my wife Misha at a, a Beatles cover band at Johnny D's in Somerville, where Beetlejuice were performing and there we were two you know people from long island who had moved to boston and were singing on the dance floor beatles to the you know to the loudest ability we could to join along with brad delp and the and 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 the um And they sounded like the records, like you're in the room and you're, oh my God, we could be back in Germany in the first few moments of their career. It sounded that authentic because it was live, but these musicians are phenomenal.
1: That's awesome. And you know, my next question was, do you have a favorite Beatles song?
0: Yeah, so I, I I really am an idealist still, despite all of the reasons not to be, and I want to imagine that we can live together in peace and where people don't look at what's different, but look for the common ground together and bring out the best in each other. And one of my sayings, Jack, is my love is stronger than mind control. <laughs> A long, another thing I say is, it's your mind and, o- and only you should control it. Don't let anyone else control it. So Mind Games and Imagine are two songs, but seriously, I've listened to endless number of hours of Beatles <laughs> songs growing up. <laughs> and your favorite memory that's associated with the Beatles, I
1: mean, that has to be when you met your wife at the Beatles juice concert, right?
0: It, it you know it really is because i didn't i never got to meet them in person and i always wanted to and i was always you know fantasizing when i was in manhattan that i'd run into john in central park or whatever and i was living in dc when john was assassinated and it, i cried so hard Uh, like I cried when John Kennedy was assassinated and Martin Luther King was assassinated. And I remember joining thousands of people. I think it was at the Lincoln Memorial that night as people spontaneously showed up with candles and flowers. Wow. And would you say that John had a kind of cult of personality? He was incredibly charismatic, so was Paul. And frankly, George was a genius. And Ringo's no slouch either. And, you know, we all have a, a public persona and then we have a private. But the Beatles were a phenomenon that just, you know, infiltrated everyone's consciousness, even old fuddy duddies that, you know, thought I was wearing my hair too long because I, I wore it in the early Beatles style when I was, you know, a young kid. Um, and it was a form of rebellion, honestly, you know, like my father wanted me to have the, the close trim like I had always had and I won't it long. And what makes the Beatles always relevant in society? I'd like to think they'll always be relevant. Um, you know there there was an innocence to the, a lot of the lyrics of just simplicity of love falling in love falling out of uh being in love and such and then as they started you know imbibing in in pot and LSD and did strawberry fields forever it it just kind of mirrored the social scene and influenced a lot of people um and so I don't know. I, I'm refreshed that a younger person like you is into the Beatles, and I know that I exposed my son, who's now turning twenty, to the Beatles from his earliest days, and he always loved them. loved the Beatles too. No, I I I I would like to imagine if John hadn't been assassinated and if he was alive uh continued to be alive that he would really be a very powerful force for justice for social change anti-violence anti-gun violence um as yoko has continued to speak out in in large measure as well um we need some more leadership <laughs> so i see it that is espousing, um, you know, love and kindness and creativity. And, and, um, and I've always loved music. So um, I can assure you I will be listening to Beatles as long as I live.
1: Another question I had is, do you think that music had more of an influence in the 60s when the Beatles were around than it does
0: now? That's a good question because, you know, I grew up, Initially, in the age of radio in my house, then we got black and white TV, then we got color TV, and I try to think, what would my life be like if those inventions didn't happen? And I really think that the Beatles showed up at an ideal moment where there was TV, there was, you, know, there was a, a popular music industry growing up. And, um, nowadays I think people spend too many hours online and they're too distracted and people have shorter attention spans, which is not a healthy thing. And I think a lot of young creative minds are spent on video games and other types of of internet games instead of writing music writing poetry or becoming an activist to make the world a better place so if anyone's listening to this um you know if you if you spent 5 hours a week less on doing binge watching videos or 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 just you know doing mindless things uh, doom scrolling And did five hours a week of social contribution, whether it's being a big brother or a big sister or a mentor or raising money for poor people or teaching English to, um, to people who are immigrants, uh, or to doing more, um, to, for voting rights, local voting rights in every state, uh, America needs to have a revitalization desperately. And what do you think that first step towards revitalization would be? Is it local change first? I think, so I'm a complex systems uh, guy. I first learned complex systems in the early 80s from, from a, a, a MIT-trained physicist. Um, And very simply, it's a way of thinking of reality instead of in a linear way of A causes B or B influences C. It thinks about reality from the microcosmic level to the macrocosmic level and thinks in terms of increasing feedback loops and decreasing feedback loops. And what the concept is known as emergence, where where things emerge that didn't exist before because of these interactions with each other. And that's one of the wonderful things I think about being an international traveler is your consciousness gets expanded to learn about other cultures, other languages, to study history. And and I think we need to remember we're on one planet and we're all in this together. And we can't afford to be isolationists and we can't afford to stand by while uh, dictators and authoritarian mind control cults uh, are trying to impose authoritarianism on us. So I think creativity is critical. I think everyone needs to really value themselves and value their time and be more in control of their minds as opposed to the social media platforms controlling their minds. They should choose what they wanna do online, use the internet, but not get lost and overwhelmed. So what have you been up to recently? Are you involved in any projects at the moment? Oh, it's an interesting question. It just so happens that I've been working for the last year and a half uh, on an online course uh, where I teach. It started with being aiming it for mental health professionals, um, uh, but now uh, enough people have, have taken it to tell me that if you're a former member you, or you have a loved one or friend who's in the MAGA cult or any other cult, QAnon, whatever, Uh, understanding more in depth what mind control is and what the psychological issues are, as well as how to talk to people. So I'm just in the process of launching this course, uh, and I have two more courses I want to make on more deliberately how to talk to people in mind control cults in a respectful, curious way where you're asking questions instead of trying to use facts to persuade um, a cult member that they're wrong, which doesn't work, by the way. It makes the people double down uh, on their indoctrination. But saying, hey, you know, walk me through your experience. Like, when was the first time you heard of Trump, for example, to use my last book for Simon & Schuster called The Cult of Trump? Oh, and people will say, "Oh, I saw him on The Apprentice." And I'd be like, "So what'd you think?" "Oh, I thought he was an asshole." You know, or I thought he was misogynist or I thought you know, not positive, and, but now you're now you're a maga troll. This is real a self-described maga troll. To walk me through how you came to believe that he was, you know, a good person, much less deserves to be president of the United States. And I and I try to help them understand that they were influenced. Maybe it was a coworker, maybe it was a member of their family, maybe it was a QAnon video or a pandemic video against the COVID vaccine or something. But again, what I believe is the truth will stand up to scrutiny. And that if you are in control of your own mind, you should be able to ask very direct questions to reality tests. And if you get a response like, the media is the enemy of the people, then your alarm bell should go off immediately because we need media. We need independent journalism, not propaganda. And it needs to be fact-based and evidence-based and peer-reviewed. And if it's legitimate, it will stand up to scrutiny. So um, I'm really uh, believing we need another revolution of consciousness where we understand human beings were not ever on the internet until the 90s, (laughs) 1990s. That's, that's a new environment for our brains and our minds and, um, the people who are running these platforms, they want our money and our time, and they want to sell us as a product to advertisers. And so anything that you're, you know, doing for free online, you have to ask yourself, you know, am I the product? Are they gathering all the likes and the not-likes and every single website I go to, because this information is being collected on the dark web and is being sold to third parties who want to do mass mind control, whether it's a state actor like Russia or China or Iran or North Korea or Christian right nationalists who want to destroy the separation between church and state and impose their anti-gay, anti-women agenda. And if people are interested in finding out more about
1: you and learning about all of this, where can they access this information?
0: Oh, thanks so much for asking. So I have a podcast as of January of 2022 on the Midas Touch platform called The Influence Continuum, and I decided to call it the Influence Continuum because I want to talk about positive psychology and not just uh, mind control authoritarian cults. So I've done a, a number of episodes on that. Uh, and come to freedomofmind.com and check out my course, check out my, my books. And I have a ton of free blogs that people can, can learn about, including ones on TM, I might add.
1: Awesome. I'll include all of those links in the podcast description so people can click on them as they listen to this. Stephen, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. It was a blast having you on. I learned a lot, and I'm sure everyone listening learned a lot as well.
0: Great. I am looking for more youthful activist type people who want to make a positive difference in their lives and the world and understanding this topic is crit- critical, I think, to preserving freedom and democracy. from Liverpool, England. The Beatles have held this title for eight years. My model of business is the Beatles. you know they were four very talented guys. <laughs>